Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday. And a big thanks to Kusha's Bayou Rouge, who allows us to bring this program your way commercial free. In business over 16 years here in Tallahassee, tabbed best of Tallahassee by Tallahassee Magazine four straight years, Tommy, and six out of the last seven. And I got to set the record straight here. So I married into uh, somebody from New Orleans. Outkicked my coverage, as many of us did. It's not about temperature. Is that where you're going? It, it is, because I think there's a, a misnomer out there that Cajun food means it's hot, and it doesn't. What it means is it's flavorful, and it's doggone good. And trust me, I spent a lot of time, because of said wife, Laura, who is from New Orleans, uh, at Kusha's Bayou Rouge. So I encourage you guys to do the same, and uh, they're open seven days a week, have breakfast uh, Wednesday through Sunday. I get there often with my son, Garrett. You should go as well. Make it a Sunday staple. That's what the uh, FSU football coaching staff has done. Matter of fact, Kusha's caters for the coaching staff uh, every Sunday during this football season. They break down the tape and get set for uh, the next opponent. So, again, thanks to Kusha's. They are on Thomasville Road on the west side just past Cary Forest. Now, with that said, here's Front Row Knowles. Seminal Sunday. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles, Seminal Sunday with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles, Seminal Sunday. Tom Block, Keith Jones. We've waited a long time to uh, dissect a game like this. Not that much uh, uh, dissecting or incisions are needed for this one. It was all Florida State all the way. There's no dissection involved. Well, listen, listen. <sighs> Finally get to exhale. Yeah, exactly. You know, the whole time I'm watching this game, I was thinking, not that hey, this game was played on the date it was scheduled, and Florida State against Louisiana Monroe will not be this lopsided. Louisiana Monroe gave Auburn a hard time yesterday and is a team that if Florida State doesn't show up to play, could beat them. But the point is, this is a game Florida State needed just to get guys to feel good about something when they're out there because everybody feels good right now. It's kind of like in the seventh grade, Tommy, you know, when you asked uh, Susie out to the seventh grade dance and she says no, and you ask Mary Kay to the seventh grade dance and she says no, at some point in time after you ask Deborah and, and uh, Mary and everybody else, you just want somebody to say yes, please, somebody, just go with me to the seventh grade dance. And I realize that that's an oversimplification, but that's what this club needed. They needed a big win with a lot of points, a lot of excitement, uh, kids doing some things and feeling good about themselves. And, you know, who knows, who knows how different season would have been if you'd have had this opportunity sometime in those 21 days after that bad taste in your mouth against Alabama, in which you played well for a, for a half, maybe two and a half quarters, if you'd had the opportunity to get a better taste in your mouth over those 21 days before you uh, hit the ACC schedule, how different maybe this season might have been. Behind us, we can't do anything about it. Florida State's four and six, two more games to play to get bowl eligible, but this felt good. James Blackman goes 11 of 15 for 179 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, again, we're gonna, you're going to hear us say this. It's going to be a broken record in this show. He needed that. He did. And, and the offensive line needed to be able to provide protection to the point where there were no sacks. Uh, the running game needed to have an opportunity to get to 240, 250 yards. I believe they did that. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of milestones that the coaches can now go back in this rivalry week against Florida as they get ready for the Gators. And, and instead of pointing to the inches that they didn't get, they can point to the yards and, the, and in some cases the miles that they achieved. Now, let's recognize FCS opponent, a game they were heavily favored, but they did everything and more that was expected of them in all three areas of the game uh, and can go into that Florida game traveling down to Gainesville with a good feeling. 
77-6 the final, and that's just outside of record territory. The all-time records for points scored, all-time record for points scored by Florida State is 80, which uh, they did in 2013 against Idaho. So uh, really, you know, had they wanted to, that's a record that could have been broken, not that that matters. But there were some other other um, interesting doings yesterday, like Justin Motlow uh, getting a touchdown catch. We'll talk about that later on. Uh, it was senior day as well, and there's some uh, some seniors on this class or in this class that uh, we need to talk about um, but the biggest thing, Keith, 77 to 6, you can't argue. That and couple that with homecoming. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. I've gotten to the point now, you know, and, and our listeners have heard me say this before, but as a player, you don't get to see the marching chiefs. You don't, you don't get to appreciate what that band brings to this stadium until you're gone. And if you go on and play in the NFL for six or eight or ten years – Gosh, you're 15 years after being a freshman before you have an opportunity to get back and know and understand what the Chiefs mean, uh, the alumni band coming back, uh, the, just everything relative to homecoming, uh, the opportunity on senior day, uh, coupled with that. I mean, it was just a very, in my opinion, a very special time at Florida State yesterday and a very special time uh, on Saturday afternoon in Doak Campbell Stadium. Yeah, it really was. Florida State gets uh, the lopsided win. We'll talk more about it, but let's let the head coach uh, do the talking for now. This uh, audio that you're about to hear is courtesy of Seminoles.com. Here is head coach Jimbo Fisher. Great job by Delaware State to come in there and play hard. Give, it moved the ball twice real early, and then we got control of the game. Those guys come in there. Kenny's a great coach and does a great job. He's really got that program. He's turned him in the right direction. I've known him a long time, and uh, he's a heck of a football coach. So uh, hats off to them and uh, their future. But uh, – Proud of our guys. We played a complete game, dominated the game, but we should have dominated the game, and we went out and played and did it, and there's something to that. And played it for four quarters. Even the guys, when the backups and everybody got in the game, they went in and played hard, executed the offense, did the right things, took the right steps, played with consistency, which you want. Played with good energy, and, and we made plays down the field and, uh, and both sides, scored on defense, scored on special teams, scored on offense, and, you know, it's great to see all three phases. And did a great, what's the name? Did a great job. DJ did a great job in punt returns. It was very electric when you give him time. Uh, he was awesome on the day. Our receivers caught the ball. Uh, quarterback was good. Backs ran the ball. Great job by Ryan Green. Senior, great to see him go out there and make, score two touchdowns, have some great runs. And, of course, Amir, Cam, Jacquez, all those guys did a great job. And uh, just happy for everybody and uh, get a good feeling and uh, play well, enjoy the evening, and get ready to go play the Gators next week. Jimbo Fisher, obviously pleased. And uh, it was a pretty short talk to the team afterwards. Not that you expected fire and brimstone when you win 77-6. to But – one thing he did say, and I know he told the media as well, he was pleased because uh, all three phases came to play. Uh, they scored a special teams touchdown. They scored a defensive touchdown. The offense went right down the field and scored. Uh, you know, you were going to win the game regardless, but you'd rather win it that way and, and have us talking about this instead of talking about how come the offense had to punt on its first drive and, and that sort of thing. And if you look at the, the yardage, uh, which is a situation I always look at, uh, opponent's yardage, um, I think they were somewhere around 130, 140 yards in the first half, and 65 or 70 of that came on two plays, one of them in the first series. Uh, so you saw your defense uh, maybe come out just maybe a hair flat. Uh, they got on top of them. They got some uh, yardage. They end up missing, uh, excuse me, blocking a field goal uh, to keep points off the board. Uh, but your defense finally woke up. Uh, I didn't count the three and outs, but there were a bunch of them on that side of the ball. Uh, offensively, Florida State had four uh, kids that, that had rushing attempts with double-digit yardage. You mentioned the numbers on Blackman. And how about some of the young kids finally getting a catch, finally getting a catch for a touchdown in the first one of their uh, FSU career. That, that's an exciting time, time especially during homecoming uh, here in Tallahassee. 
Yeah, we already mentioned the name Justin Motlow, but he is a member of the Seminole Tribe and the first that ever played football at Florida State and thus the first that ever scored a touchdown for FSU. And I happen to be standing close to Kyle Doney, who is a member of the Seminole Tribe as well. He's been on the National Board of Directors for the Alumni Association and uh, lots of smiles all around. And, oh, by the way, it wasn't like that was a ho-hum catch. That was a pretty nice catch. Well, you know, we talk about how, how much support Florida State University has received from the Seminole Tribe of Florida. And those that have been around for a while know about the efforts of the NCAA to attempt to do away with what was perceived to be names that, uh, you know, were not reflective. Florida State's uh, honor of the Seminole Tribe and the reference that all of us have for the Seminole Tribe of Florida has never been questioned, particularly if you know anything about this university, know anything about its athletics uh, program. To, to finally have an actual native an actual descendant, score a touchdown is a pretty remarkable thing when you take a step back and think about it. And that, that's a unique uh, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for all of us that were in that stadium to see that happen. So congratulations to Justin Motlow, who is uh, out of Tampa, the Tampa area, and he's got another year to go still. Uh, we'll do an offensive and defensive segment. We can talk special teams real quick. For all the talk uh, we've had uh, about McFadden maybe not living up to the hype this year, he wasn't one who blocked that uh, that field goal attempt. That was Demarcus Christmas. But uh, you had to feel for McFadden, uh, you know, to make that play and get a chance to get in the end zone. Nice job to finally get an opportunity to do the right thing. Uh, and of course, uh, I, I, this sounds like we're going to segue into a negative against four. But uh, how about the uh, afternoon uh, DJ had returning punts? Well, that's where I was going next. He he looked like uh, number 28 back in the late 70s, just making those over-the-shoulder catches of punts and then making 12 guys miss. Well, uh, the only thing that he looked like the old number 28 was making the catch. Everything else was brand new because the old 28 had no idea what to do with the ball after receiving it. But you saw why. You saw why they wanted to have him back there. He's very comfortable fielding the ball, and he can make some people miss in the open field. He had he had three or four very nice returns that really set up Florida State offensively, and wow, what a big boost that is in the, in the special teams. And I go back to where we started. What if in week two Florida State's playing Louisiana Monroe and they're up a couple scores, so DJ gets a chance to return punts in the fourth quarter that day, and he looks that comfortable and fluid doing it? Well, then something that we all clamored for for several weeks happens much sooner because, you know, you just can't practice punts against – you're not going live and practice every day when these guys are catching punts. Tommy, the reality is we will never understand. Uh, there, there, there's three or four things that have happened in Florida State's program that uh, are watershed events. We don't need to get into all of them, but, uh, you know, Devar Darling's death uh, when Pablo was killed – uh, and, and, and not to put them on the same level, but those were things that, that the Florida State program had never experienced. Those are tens. Those are major things. That 21-day layoff after the first game of the season, that's certainly not a 10, and I'm not comparing that to any player's life. But that was a unique situation in 2017 we've never been through before. And you're exactly right. What happens if we have a big win against ULM in week two when it was scheduled? And and several things happen personnel-wise, and this happens and that happens. I mean, how much different could this season have been? We'll never know, but that's one of the things that will make 2017 totally unique. One thing I do know is that you should head on out to Kush's and tell them that Tom and Keith 
told you to do so. Kush's has been sponsoring this program uh, all season long. We thank them for that. They've also been uh, providing the uh, the meals. They've been catering for the coaches every Sunday. So as you're listening to this, the coaches may be enjoying some Kush's while they're breaking down. Ta- I bet they're probably not spending a lot of time breaking down Delaware State tape. They're probably spending a lot of time looking at Florida tape. But either way, uh, the cuisine from Kush's is nearby. It's on Thomasville Road, just past Cary Forest. So head on out to Kush's. We'll step aside, come back. We're just getting cranked up here. Three segments to go on this Sunday, a Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday. Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday. Let's go offense first here because offense sells the popcorn, and we're trying to sell some popcorn in this show right now, KJ. 77-6. to Pick a stat. It's all going to be gaudy. It's all going to look good. Uh, 56 plays for 482 yards. So do the math on that. Eight yards per play or a little bit more. Four running backs that uh, that all look really good and get a chance. Uh, you play three quarterbacks in the game. Ehrman Lane didn't get a lot of opportunities but made a beautiful catch on one. I mean, it, it, just wherever you get the red zone, eight of eight in the red zone and all touchdowns, that'll help that stat that's been uh, tilted against Florida State. And that's one of the things that's going to be interesting because Florida State has struggled in the national statistics uh, because of their anemic offense. Uh, and uh, they'll move up, you know, probably 20 notches in a couple of things, uh, rushing yardage or passing yardage, or as you mentioned, uh, red zone uh, scoring, uh, and that'll that'll pad the stats a little bit. Uh, these are games that you're kind of associated with doing that. I think uh, the thing I was pleased with is the offense took the first ball, first reception, first possession rather, and drove it right down the field and scored. That's only the second time we've seen that happen in the entirety of the 2017 season. Uh, defense comes right back out, gives up a few plays, but then blocks the field goal. They score points. Uh, automatically give the ball back to ULM. They go with three and out. Offense. Not, not ULM yet. It's still Delaware oh, State. Delaware State. Sorry, sorry. Got that. Got it on the mind. Uh, but the offense goes back out and scores. And then there was a pick six. You know, there were three or four touchdowns on the board, and the offense had only had two possessions. Those are the ways you get blowout wins. So everything went according to the script, uh, and I was very pleased with the way the offense played. I was disappointed. Disappointed only because they didn't get enough touches that Cam or Jaquez or somebody like that didn't go over 100 yards. But Cam only had nine rushing attempts. Patrick only had three. Uh, He's pretty good at his. Two of those three were for touchdowns. And remember, this is the same kid that's coming off surgery from four or five weeks ago. Uh, So the other kids got the opportunity. Uh, The one that nearly broke 100 yards, of course, was Ryan Green, who started as a running back, was moved back to defensive back, had issues at running back. He moves back to running back. Then all of a sudden, Patrick and Akers raised their ugly head along with the Rasul, and Ryan's gotten no touches, but he finishes the homecoming game with seven uh, for 97 and scores that long uh, uh, touchdown run, I think, of 50. Uh, so a great day running. You saw some receivers make some nice catches, and as we've talked about, some receivers you didn't even know their names were able to make some receptions. Yeah, and Green actually had two touchdowns. He also had a five-yard run. So, uh, you know, uh, and I talked with Jimbo about that. That's uh, that's a guy who was pretty heralded coming out of high school, and I- I'm sure, and, and I don't know Ryan, didn't, but didn't have the career that he thought he might and could have had – uh, a much gaudier career in terms of statistics had he gone somewhere else. But you need guys like that to keep plugging along, keep working, not be afraid or not shy away from competition. 
which to his credit, I thought he might have raised his hand and said, I'll go play wide receiver or play somewhere else, but he sticks it out at, uh, at running back here this year, and that's a pretty nice, memorable senior day. Well, and, and, and to Jimbo's credit, and, and uh, along with uh, the, the rest of the offensive staff, you know, they've split the running backs out some. We've solved Cam Akers out wide, and you, you, you're going to see Ryan Green out wide, so he, he doesn't have to raise his hand and volunteer to be a wide receiver. They can find ways to get him in the ballgame, particularly now that you know you can trust him, you've seen his spurt, you know that he's healthy, and you know that he can contribute, uh, you see a little more PT playing time when those things happen. I'm looking at the rest of these stats here. Amir Rasul ran the ball well, did put the ball on the ground a couple of times, uh, uh, so maybe a little bit of reason for concern there. But I think the biggest takeaway in terms of the ground game is that even though Akers and Patrick didn't have big numbers, they also didn't get a lot of wear and tear, and so they will be fresh because I, I can guarantee you that Florida State's recipe this week this Saturday in Gainesville is going to be to ride those two. Very much so. I mean, for, for several reasons. Number one, it's the right thing to do. But number two, you're going to be in a hostile environment. Uh, you want to control the clock. You want to keep the ball out of uh, Florida's offense. I know they've struggled, and, and we'll talk about this more on our Wednesday show. Uh, I know they've struggled from the quarterback position, but they do have some playmakers. And we saw against Delaware State, you put the ball up, every now and then a receiver can go up and get it. Uh, that running game is going to be important. Get that Gainesville crowd out of it. Hopefully, maybe, maybe, maybe you can get ahead and play with a lead. That helps keep the, uh, the crowd quiet. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why Florida State plus the running game will equal success in Gainesville if they can get it going. I'm looking at the pass catchers right now, and Auden Tate, uh, I think finally healthy. He didn't have big numbers, but he did catch a touchdown, and uh, you know, Gavin was out there and had four catches. Nooney has been pretty consistent of late. We talked about Justin Motlow and Ermon Lane. So, I mean, those are, those are all good things, and Florida State didn't have to utilize Izzo. You can guarantee that uh, if you're going to run the ball next week, there's going to be some play action, and the tight end's going to be involved. Well, I'll ask Clemson what uh, Florida State's tight end can do. Uh, they'll be the first to tell you that even though he didn't show out against the Hornets, uh, he has an opportunity along with uh, the rest of them on that uh, in that position to do some big things. How about Herman Lane coming back? A great catch on that long pass. Didn't quite get into the end zone, but uh, a long ball. Uh, a guy much like Ryan Green, who for the good of the team has said in years past, I'll change positions. I'll go somewhere where I feel like I can contribute, and is now back to the position from which he was recruited. Made a very nice reception there late in the ball game. Almost got in the end zone. Two catches, 48 yards for Ermon Lane. One other receiver who didn't have uh, a big day but has been a big story around Florida State for the last couple of years. He's a walk-on uh, from nearby, uh, and I'm talking about Jerry Jackson. He's been the holder. He first, uh, and he's mainly made his name on special teams, where he's been a special teams captain several year, uh, several games this year. Uh, but a good story, and we'll hear from him in just a moment. Yeah, he's the one of the he's one of those glue guys that you know you've got to have on your team. You've got to have some guys that aren't the great physical talents, but they played great ball in high school. Uh, they know how to play the game. You can put them into positions. I mean, the very important position, the holder. I mean, you only pay attention to the holder when he makes a mistake. It's kind of like an offensive lineman. You don't know who they are till they get flagged for holding. Uh, but he's captain. Uh, he's a gunner on the punt squad, punt coverage team. He's made some remarkable tackles in that area of the game. Uh, he's not a guy, Tommy, that's going to play on Sundays, but he's a very, very valuable guy on Saturdays, and you can't do without him. I had a chance to talk to him after the game. He was probably surprised that he got an interview request, but he's one of 17 seniors. Really good story. So here's that conversation with Jared Jackson. Had to be a little bit bittersweet for you. It goes by fast, but uh, senior day, I saw you out there with your family beforehand uh, in front of the dope crowd. Yeah, it absolutely is. It, uh, 
My freshman year, the guy, older guys always tell me it flies by, and, and they weren't lying. It sure did. Uh, but I, I couldn't be happier with all the memories and stuff that I've had, and, and it's, it's been a great time. I know you grew up nearby. You played at Asilla, and uh, you know I think when your when your senior year was done there, there weren't exactly a lot of opportunities for you. So uh, you know, just kind of explain that time and how you ended up at Florida State. Right. I knew I wanted to play at the next level. Um, I had a very successful senior year, but just because uh, the the talent level and stuff that we were playing at, uh, I wasn't getting a lot of looks, um, and so I, at at the towards the end of it, I was just willing to do anything it took to be able to play at the next level. So luckily, um, I had a couple opportunities at smaller schools, um, and then luckily, Coach Dossie called my coach and said that I had a preferred walk-on opportunity here, so I jumped on that, uh, and I'm glad I did. That's not an easy road to take, though. I mean, preferred walk-on, I guess, is maybe better than an outright walk-on, but that's still, uh, uh, you know, that can be tough sledding, and I'm sure it was for a couple of years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a grind coming in. Nobody knows who you are. Uh, nobody expects you to really stick around that long or anything. Uh, you don't get a lot of respect, so you have to earn that on the field uh, just through hard work, and, and luckily I was able to do that. No, you've got an opportunity uh, to catch a couple passes. Uh, you, you first made your name really making special teams plays, and then you've been the holder. So uh, was that? did you volunteer for that? Did they come to you? I mean, just anything to get out there on the field? Yeah, I mean, they, they knew I, I, I'm willing to do anything to, uh, to help contribute to the team, especially on special teams. That's kind of been my little niche. So uh, last year I kind of did a little bit uh, behind Jack Steed uh, just in case anything happened with him. And so I held a little bit last year. So once he graduated, I just kind of fell into the role uh, and started in spring and, and took off with that. Well, as you know, next up is the Gators. And uh, you're an interesting story because your dad was an All-American athlete, student-athlete golfer at the University of Florida. So uh, I won't ask you if you grew up a Florida fan. I'll let you skate on that one. But I do know that uh, it's got to be interesting times this week in your household. Uh, yeah, absolutely, especially uh, earlier in my career, my freshman, sophomore year, my dad struggled with it. Uh, but now that I'm out there playing and stuff, he has no problem going for the Knowles, and I'm sure on Saturday he'll be decked out in Seminole stuff. Yeah, I can verify he was wearing garnet and gold today. Hey, best of luck this week. Congratulations on your career and finish up strong. I appreciate it. That's Jared Jackson, a senior walk-on at Florida State. As I mentioned, uh, his dad starred at the University of Florida, so uh, Gator Seminole Week going to be an interesting one for Jared Jackson and family. And that last question, of course, you talk about the Seminole-Gator matchup. His dad, as I referenced in the interview, was an All-American golfer at the University of Florida. And uh, as you heard Jared say, you know, the first year or two, he wasn't too happy about wearing garnet and gold. But I I can attest, I got a picture. He was uh, all decked out in seminal gear, proud of his son as he should be. But it it means that it will be an interesting week this week, Keith. And as you know, as somebody who grew up uh, in Wildwood, I mean, pretty much, you know, uh, right smack dab in the middle. Everybody's got somebody in their family that's a gator or somebody they work with. And it's part of what makes rivalries rivalries. I got stepsons. I got sons-in-laws. Uh, there's not a more, um, I'm going to say, disappointing feeling, and, of course, I say that tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but between my na- nine grandbabies, eight of them can talk. And about four of them pull for the Seminoles and about four of them pull for the Gators. And everyone that pulls for Seminoles warms my heart. And those that pull for the Gators, I love them, but it breaks my heart. But the bottom line is, welcome to Florida Week. That's just the way rivalries are. And the Florida-Florida State uh, rivalry in Florida uh, is is just what it is. It, it makes you divide even amongst family members. I know during your playing days, because I've heard you tout it, and I would put it on my business card, frankly, you went 4-0 against the Gators and, and Florida State because uh, I, I talked to Nate Andrews, and you'll hear from him in a little bit in this show. Uh, he's currently 4-0 against the Gators. And, and as I think about it, and I haven't looked because I haven't been in a Florida game week mindset, 
Has FSU ever won five in a row against Florida as they go into this matchup? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, that's a very good question. We'll try to look that up, and uh, those that want to come back and visit with us on, uh, during our show on Wednesday, we'll hopefully have an answer for you. All I know is my group was the first to win four in a row, uh, and so we'll do some research and see if there's been five in a row. I know there's been that many on the Florida side, unfortunately, particularly when the when the series first first getting started, uh, but we'll have to do some research on the FSU side. That's something that Nate and uh, – <laughs> Pardon me, very few others may be able to uh, claim if they do make it five in a row. Yeah, of course, it's not quite what DeMarcus did on his way out, which was go 4-0 and against Florida and Miami, as we all remember from uh, last year. That's a pretty good one to put on that mantle. We'll step aside, come back, talk about uh, DeMarcus's old unit on the defensive side of the ball when we continue on Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Florida State, big winners on Saturday. The Knolls pick up their fourth victory. They're now two wins away from bowl eligibility with two to play. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you as uh, we continue wrapping up this victory. And, uh, again, not a lot to dissect. That's where we started the show. But defensively, Keith, uh, all in all, pretty solid effort. Played an awful lot of guys. Young guys looked pretty good in it. Uh, the only the only downside at all was there were a couple of chunk plays maybe on the third or fourth drives of the game for Delaware State. And they did get one touchdown on a fourth and goal. But other than that, I don't think you can find too much fault in this game. A 45-yard reception, a 42-yard reception, a 20-yard run, and then nothing else. Uh, they finished the game with 192 yards of total offense. Um, and, and, you know, I, 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 I look back at those chunk plays, and, and a couple of them were against the first team, but the rest of them were against the second or the third team. You should expect that. Certainly the 45-yarder was late in the game. No question. But anytime you can hold an opponent over 200 yards, regardless of who's been out there, you've got to be pleased. When I mentioned earlier about the offensive statistics moving up, this will really help Florida State defensively in terms of some of the criticism that Coach Kelly and the coaches have taken relative to where they rank statistically. Uh, there were six sacks recorded. Now, when they go back and look at the tape, there may be a seventh or an eighth one because sometimes the score during the game doesn't know whether the quarterback got back across the line of scrimmage or not, and they'll give that as a rush as opposed to a sack. Coaches will go back and look at that. But I think uh, Kando had, what, three and a half or four sacks of his own just in the second half. And so from a performance standpoint, I think you've got to look at uh, Charles Kelly's unit. And I know they're going up against an inferior talent, and I know it's a game in which they're supposed to win. But they did the right things at the right time, save those few chunk plays. And you've got to be very pleased with how this Florida State defensive unit showed themselves. We spent, I feel like, the first half of the year, uh, maybe not us, but but people kept saying, boy, Derwin's not as good as advertised. And now we've spent the last three or four weeks saying Derwin looks about as good as advertised. And I, I know that, uh, you know, man for man, Florida State had better athletes at all 11 positions on the field probably when Derwin made that interception. But that was quite a nifty return for him to get in the end zone. Well, let's think about why Derwin – would be viewed as not having played well the first four or five or six ball games of the year. Why? Because he's playing deep safety. That's not where he's at his best. 
Florida State had some problems. Uh, first game against Alabama, Trey Marshall had to sit out the first half because of a targeting foul against Michigan in the bowl game. You had some other kids, Nate Andrews included, that have missed time that you normally would like to have back there so that you can move Derwin closer to the line of scrimmage. Cyrus Fagan was hurt at the start of the year. Exactly. And so now that the last three or four games, they've had some other bodies that they're comfortable with that they play at the true safety position. You saw Derwin move up to the linebacker. You saw Derwin went in a three and four point stance as a defensive end in some of the situations in the last week or two and now he's being able to put in positions where he can make plays and what has he done he's made plays nothing about Derwin changed it's just where he starts from that makes the bigger difference so he's got a couple interceptions uh he had one that was negated in the NC State game I feel like that's where the talk started that he's not playing as well he missed he got beat on one uh, misplay. Missed he missed a tackle that went for a big touchdown in the NC State game, and that's where this this talk started. The other thing he's done, he hadn't returned a lot of kicks this year, but he took one to the house against Wake Forest that got taken back, and he returned one about 70 yards yesterday that got called back. So he's looked pretty good in space with the ball. Well, and I'll try to call him the right thing this time. Delaware State didn't kick off to the deep. You know, every, you know, the two or three times that they kicked off, only one of them went deep. First, first kickoff of the ball game, they pooch kicked it. They were not going to put the ball in the hands of Derwin and whoever else was back there. So you can't uh, – if you don't get at bats, you don't get opportunities. If they intentionally walk you, not a lot you can do as a baseball player. I did think it was interesting that uh, a couple of the former Knowles who were back on the sideline for this game are former safeties who were uh, admiring Derwin's efforts there. But uh, LaMarcus Brutus was back, really good guy who finished in 2015. He's coaching down at Port St. Lucie. And then Terrence Brooks, who's still in the NFL, he's with the Jets now. And, uh, man, time flies. But this is his fourth year in the league. So I said, oh, you're vested, on. Huh? he had a big ring. He said, I'm vested. I, he got his three point, you know, three years and two games or whatever you need. But he commented about how Derwin is, is just really, really good. And, uh, you know, and one guy that's sort of the bridge among all those guys because he played with all of them is Nate Andrews, who was on that 2013 team, a teammate of Terrence Brooks, obviously a teammate of LaMarcus Brutus, a teammate of Derwin James. I mean, he, he spans half a decade in his career, but, uh, I, you know, and, and his career is not finishing the way he would have liked it. He came in winning a national title and as a starter, and he's gone out being, uh, you know, really injured and beat up the last couple of years, but still a guy who, who will who'll grin ear, ear to ear. Well, and two things. Number one, the reason his career has not gone the way he wanted it to, or any of us wanted it to, is because of injuries. And you, you can't control those some, sometimes. Number two, and I've not had this conversation with him. I haven't even asked you. I probably should do this before uh, saying things publicly on the air. But Nate impresses me as somebody that might go immediately into coaching. And Nate also impresses me that it might be somebody at Florida State hangs on to as a graduate assistant early on and helps him in his early years. He's smart. Uh, he knows how to play the game. Uh, he knows how to be a teammate. Uh, people respect him. When he speaks, people listen. Uh, he would be a guy that at face value, I don't know what his goals in life are. I've not had that conversation with him. But should he choose to go into coaching, he's one I'd keep my eye on. He might be very, very adept and very, very good at it. We'll let our listeners uh, judge for themselves. I had a chance to talk to Nate Andrews, so uh, take a listen to that conversation with Florida State's fifth-year senior safety. Nate, it it, uh, it has to feel like an awfully long time ago that you arrived on campus at this point. You were part of that 2013 national title team. You're still grinning ear to ear. Uh, congratulations, by the way, on sticking it out five years. I know it felt good to get out there today. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. It feels great. 
when you look back, uh, you know, I say, I joke that it's, it feels like a long time, but usually senior day kind of sneaks up on you. Does it feel like you've been here that long, or can you remember it like it was just yesterday? I mean, I remember like it was just yesterday, you know. I mean, it flies. Time flies. It's just yesterday I felt like I won a national championship, and now I'm a fifth-year senior, you know. I mean, I haven't took it for granted. Like, each year, each year I think it went out there and played hard, you know. I might not have been playing as much this year, but still, man, I'm trying to give it my all. But it's great, you know, it's great being back for another year and playing with these guys. I know that, uh, I would assume anyway, that, you know, the last couple of years didn't go the way you wanted. You had a lot of injuries. I looked up at one point in the third quarter today, and it was, you know, it was the future. It was a lot of freshmen and sophomore out there defensively. And then I look back, and you're the fifth-year guy back there. So, uh, you know, kind of what's that been like, to put that in perspective, when you when you start at where you were, and then it just doesn't unfold the way you hoped it would? I mean, it's... It's tough. It was tough. I mean, it's been tough for me, but you know, I mean, I can't, I can't pout about it. I mean, because the future, they are the future. All those guys, guys like Cyrus on Hamster. So I got, I mean, I, I'm out there trying to help them out, you know, trying to help them with every little thing. Those guys going to be great players. So I mean, I can't be negative because you be negative, that's not a good thing. You've been around here, even though you're from Alabama. You've been part of this FSU-Florida rivalry, I guess, four times counting. And FSU's been on the right side of the ledger in all four of those. So how do you make sure that everybody in that locker room knows exactly what's at stake next week against the Gators? Uh, we just got to um, go into practice, you know, and practice hard. Because, I mean, Florida, they're, they're a great team. I mean, everybody look at records, but records doesn't always tell what teams are about. I mean, I think they're a great team. And they're going to come. They're going to play hard. I mean, they're playing at home. And we beat them the last four years. So they're going to show up. They're going to show up and play hard, just like everybody else does. So, I mean, we're going to be excited for it. I mean, I'm excited for it. It's going to be a great challenge. What's next for you when football's done? I know we got a few more games, but what's next in the chapter or the book that is Nate Anders? I have no idea. I mean, I still got I got two more games and hopefully one more. So, I mean, after that, then I'll be – I really don't know right now. Well, enjoy it. You know, like I said, it, it passes uh, more quickly than you want it to. But uh, it's been fun to watch you play. I wish you the best of luck. Yes, sir. Thank you. As you heard, I finished up there. Nate's from Alabama, but uh, this will be round five for him against the Gators. It, it Maybe he grew up on Alabama-Auburn, and I don't know. I didn't ask him, but he certainly has gotten conditioned to FSU-Florida uh, as we go into this week. And, uh, I, you know, it, it's going to be a big week for this defense down there because uh, one of the ways you can quiet that crowd is uh, not letting the home team have any success. Very much so, and we've seen that happen in years past when Florida State's gone there and completely controlled the game. We've seen games down there, Tommy, when Florida State had to pull one out of the out of a bag. Uh, last play of the ball game to P.K. Sam, as an example. Uh, you go all the way back to games that I've been involved with. Uh, in 79, we were undefeated. 10-0, and 0, Florida State, was, or Florida rather, was 0-9-1. And now that's a game Florida State should win 56 to nothing, wouldn't you think? Barely got out of there with a victory. It's a rivalry game, and, and the, the records, you know, you and I were looking. This is probably only the second time, at least in the modern era, uh, when both teams have had losing records going into the ball game. I know there were times early in the series when the game was played the third or fourth or fifth week of the, of the season when both teams might have had uh, an upside-down record. But since it's been the last game of the year, for however many decades it's been now. Uh, this is a very rare occurrence when both teams will have losing records going into the ballgame, and, and it really doesn't matter. Rivalry games are such that the records and what's happened during the year, you throw that all out the window. It's all about one 60-minute game on a particular Saturday when it comes to a rivalry contest. Yeah, and just to, to further clarify on that, I gave that a quick perusal. So maybe the sports information folks from Gainesville or at FSU will look at that, and maybe I missed it. But when I looked back, Keith, the only time I found where both teams had a losing record at the time the game was played was 1959 
which was year two of the rivalry that is FSU Florida. So, and the year I was born in, by the way. It may not be the history everybody's looking for, but we got some history sort of coming up this week in Gainesville. And, and, and your point and our point about all of that is it doesn't really matter. No, and, and the other thing is it just goes to show how great a rivalry it's been in terms of how much success each program's had. All right, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll continue in just a bit. I want to remind you to head to uh, Kush's. They are kid-friendly. They are on Thomasville Road. Uh, just past Cary Forest Parkway. They've got the games on the tube on Sundays, and uh, they're coming soon to College Town. We appreciate them supporting this program all year long. Try the muffins. Try the muffins. There you go. There you go. He did used to be affiliated with the mill. Longtime Tallahassians know that, obviously. And so the muffins are uh, a top shelf. We'll come back and put the wraps on the show right after this. Front Row Knowles, Seminole Sunday, is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. So we turn the page on Delaware State. Well, I guess I should allow you to to chime in. Is there anything else we missed from that game yesterday before we do officially turn the page? Well, I think it's time now that we take a look and we award the Prime Meridian Bank performance of the game. And we're going to hand that to Justin Motlow, who had that 12-yard reception for a touchdown, made the score 70-6. to What's unique about that is you've heard us talk about it, Motlow, an actual Seminole uh, uh, native, uh, the first one of the Seminole tribe to actually score a touchdown for Florida State. Quite a unique uh, uh, opportunity for him to get into the ball game, and a very special time for Florida State program as he brings in that 12-yard TD catch. We will remind you that if you're shopping for a home mortgage, try my bank for the best right the first time. Prime Meridian Bank, Tallahassee, Crawford, Crawfordville, rather, and on the web at trymybank.com. Prime Meridian Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender, NMLS number 393620. And again, a very unique uh, Saturday when an actual member of the Seminole Tribe of Florida makes a touchdown reception. First time ever in Florida State history. On homecoming, on senior day, not that he's a senior, but uh, a good good job for Justin Motlow, and congratulations. He is a junior uh, out of the Tampa area. All right, so now we have turned the page. I think we've uh, we've done all we could do on a 77-6 to victory here, Keith. So you get set for the game with the Florida Gators this week, and it is a rivalry game, and it's one of those things when you look at the goal chart for Florida State, and it talks about a championship and the playoffs and an ACC championship and X amount of wins. Up there on the board is also – beating your rivals. And Florida State obviously hasn't checked the box on a lot of its goals this year. But but beating Florida would be a nice one, and this would be five in a row. It also would be four in a row in Gainesville, which I know Florida State's never done. And I don't know truthfully. Now, there were a lot of years Florida wasn't very good in football, so maybe it's been done. But I don't know how many teams have won that many in a row down in what's a tough place to play. Very much so. And, and again, the way this uh, rivalry was in the 90s and in the early part of the 2000s, you know, you, you, you can't hardly believe that we're now here in 2017 and both teams will enter that ball game with losing records. But as we've said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. These kids, no, the, these kids' dads, no, these kids' granddads grew up understanding this Florida-Florida State rivalry. And if these kids are from Florida, it's been the game for a, a half a century now. A lot of respect for the Miami-Florida State rivalry, but this FSU-Florida rivalry was the beginning. Uh, it was the it was the the, the linchpin that created uh, what is Gators versus Seminoles, and, and and I can't 
I can't overestimate, particularly as they get older. You talk to older players, players even older than I am. Uh, they can tell you everything about every Florida game they played in. That's how important they were. Uh, and, and, and it's because the significance it has for bragging rights. Uh, I can understand that there may be some that say it doesn't have the same influence as it relates to recruiting that maybe it used to. I don't know that. I don't follow recruiting enough. I know that when it comes to attending um, banquets and going to civic meetings and talking to other people, even in, in Tallahassee, uh, it's a good year when you've beaten the Gators, and it's a long year when you've lost to them. And there's so much, uh, there's so many chapters to this. I mean, you talk about what it means. Uh, well, ask former FSU president T.K. Weatherell, who was on the team during the Lane Fenner catch, uh, or talk to any Florida State player or fan that was there that day and swears and that FSU you got. You said it correctly. It was a catch. It was the Lane Fenner catch. Well, I'm wearing garnet and gold. You do see that, right? But you talk to Florida fans, and they'll talk about uh, what they call the swindle in the swamp, which was the game that P.K. Sam caught that at the end. That was the game where they changed, they rewrote the contracts to change which set of officials are there. Uh, because if I recall, that was ACC officials that came in, and it, it gave the appearance that Florida State brought its own officials, and so now I think they've got it flip-flop. But there's just a lot of unique uh, – there was the year, and I hate to bring this up, FSU fans will hate it, where Spurrier alternated quarterbacks and got a big win. That was in 97. Then a year later, Florida State's without Chris Winkie and Marcus Outson. I mean, there's a lot of very memorable games between FSU and Florida. And I didn't even mention the choke at Doak or the fifth quarter in the French quarter. I, I mean, again, when, when has there ever been a rival – when would when – would, Alabama and Auburn play in the regular season and then be of, a, of a enough significance to play in a bowl game. It's happened twice in the FSU-Florida series. I mean, that's how and, – and, 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 and at least one of them, was it both of them? The games were back-to-back, last game of the season, and then the bowl game. At least one of them was last game of the yeah, season. they were both that way. They were both that way. I mean, when does that happen? You, you know, TV folks don't do that unless people are going to watch – and people aren't going to watch unless it's a true rivalry game, and we've seen it happen twice in that venue. So uh, hats off. Uh, I, I'm proud to have played in it. Uh, everybody before me and after me uh, always can talk about what happened in the Florida game. Uh, I remember the coaching staff would talk, Florida week, Florida week, Florida week. That's the only thing you had to say. There were no speeches. There was no fire and brimstone. There was no win one for the Gipper. It's Florida week. That's all that needed to be said. And it is Florida Week, a 12 noon kick on Saturday in Gainesville. Want to do a little bit of housekeeping here. First of all, it's also Thanksgiving week. And so uh, this week, Front Row Knowles, which airs every Wednesday at 6, will actually be a best of Front Row Knowles with some of our best interviews from uh, over the course of this fall. But uh, also we'll have uh, fresh content with our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, previewing the matchup with the Gators. So I do want to uh, get out in front and wish everybody a, a happy Thanksgiving uh, to you and yours. And But I also want to spend our last couple minutes here, Keith, just you and I breaking down this game because we won't have a chance to do it on Wednesday. It occurs, you know, neither team has achieved at the level they want to achieve. Florida, obviously, is in the middle of a head coach search. They've got an interim coach. They they, they basically have checked out on the season to the point that they didn't reschedule their loss game because they don't have a 35-year bowl streak. Uh, so the point I'm driving at is that this is it for Florida. They don't have a game next week. They don't have a bowl game. So are they going to be all in? I would expect because it's the rivalry. Are they going to be apt to say, you know what? If we get down, let's just mail it in. I would think it would be the former. I don't. I don't believe it would be the latter. Uh, I think uh, in in some respects, uh, the Florida season uh, and the FSU seasons have a little bit of commonality. 
Uh, FSU lost their starting quarterback in the first game. Uh, Florida's never been able to find one. Um, uh, they've really struggled at the quarterback position. Uh, certainly injuries have plagued Florida State at the wide receiver position. Suspensions have really plagued the University of Florida. Uh, as many as nine kids you know, have missed significant playing time. That helps, uh, excuse me, that hurts your, your, your ability to get any cohesiveness, and certainly it, it, it's her- terrible for your depth. Uh, Florida's pulled out a game or two that maybe they shouldn't have won. And they've been beaten a couple of times in, in games that, that maybe they should have. Uh, you can say the same thing for Florida State. There's been opportunities. They have talent, do the Gators, on both sides of the ball. Uh, they've recruited well, regardless of who's been the head coach. These kids know each other. They played with and against each other. And, and, and as we've said uh, for the 47th time, it, really, it just really doesn't matter. You're going to be 60, 60 minutes of lining up. And if you can't get ready for the Florida game and you can't leave everything on the field against the Gators, then I don't need you to be a Seminole player. And Florida feels the same way. They don't want you to be a Gator if you can't do the same thing in a game against the Seminoles. Yeah, I think that that about sums it up. And obviously for Florida State, they need a win to keep a, uh, the, the dream alive of uh, maintaining that bowl streak, which, as we've talked about, means a lot to, to guys like you. And the Gators would love nothing more than to ruin that streak and be responsible for being the squad that didn't let FSU achieve that consecutive wins and consecutive bowl game appearances. He is Keith. I am Tom. We do this each and every Sunday during football season, and that'll include next Sunday when we'll wrap up the uh, the Gator game. But uh, our regular show is Wednesday nights at 6. Encourage you to uh, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes or uh, get the app for uh, ESPN Tallahassee, stream us live, find the archives, all that type thing. What better way to spend Thanksgiving than uh, with the voice of Keith and yours truly in the background talking Florida FSU football? And, of course, uh, we, we'd love and want to wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we live in a wonderful country uh, with a lot of freedom, uh, and our thoughts and prayers go out to those that are protecting us as we speak uh, to maintain those freedoms. Uh, enjoy your family. Uh, kiss the little ones. And uh, go ahead. You can eat too much turkey. It'll be all right with me. You get a little sappier as you get older every year, Keith. But uh, well said. Folks, we'll talk to you on Wednesday. So long.